This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is getting and staying on the covenant path. We'll start with a devotional address to Ensign College by Sister Bonnie L. Oscarson, entitled, Be a Covenant Keeper. Then we'll hear from Melissa Western with her BYU devotional address, entitled, Vaulting to Greater Heights, Replacing Fear with Lasting Peace. I have felt impressed to speak about the importance of being covenant keepers. My testimony is that covenants are evidence of the love which our Father in Heaven has for us, and they allow us to show our love for Him in return. There is power and there are great blessings which come from being among God's covenant people. We have to begin by mentioning the ordinances which we have in our Church. An ordinance is a sacred, formal act or ceremony performed by the authority of the priesthood. Some ordinances are essential to our salvation, such as baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, ordination to the Melchizedek priesthood for men, and the temple ordinances of the endowment and sealing. We cannot return to our Heavenly Father without these essential ordinances. As a part of these necessary ordinances, we enter into solemn covenants with God. A covenant in this context is a two-way promise. The conditions of the promises are set by God. And when we enter into a covenant with God, we promise to keep those conditions, and He promises us certain blessings in return. Elder D. Todd Christofferson explains this about covenants. In these divine agreements, God binds Himself to sustain, sanctify, and exalt us in return for our commitment to serve Him and keep His commandments. This is a great definition of covenants and mentions powerful promises for us. God asks us to enter into these binding agreements, these covenants with Him, because He loves us, and He knows that binding us to Him, essentially making God our partner in this life, is the only possible way that we have, a hope of returning to Him and of receiving exaltation in His kingdom. The Lord has stated His main purpose very simply, For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. He accomplishes His work through covenants. Think of it. God invites us to come out of our worldly sphere and to enter His sphere through covenants. We are invited to join Him, to partner with Him in our salvation and in the salvation of all of His children. Love is at the heart of making covenants, because our Heavenly Father loves us beyond our comprehension, and because He understands and sees the dangers and possible pitfalls of this mortal life with so much more clarity than we do, He asks us to do what is necessary in order for us to be worthy to return to Him. I want to share a personal story to illustrate this. It's a kind of personal parable, if you will. It's an incident from the life of our daughter Emily, which illustrates how covenants are an evidence of the love which both generates the need for a promise and is the motivation for keeping a promise. Our family was living in Houston, Texas, when Emily attended school at BYU in Provo, Utah. She was at home with us one summer for a short visit, and she went on a date with a young man from our ward with whom she had attended church and seminary and school since she was 15 years old. He was attending school on a football scholarship at the United States Naval Academy and was also home for a short time. Even though they had been friends for five years, something clicked that summer, and they saw each other every day during the time they were home. Both felt that this was something worth exploring. They continued their relationship long distance between Annapolis, Maryland, and Provo, Utah for the next year and eventually became engaged to be married. Midshipmen from the Naval Academy are not permitted to get married until after they graduate. Emily graduated from BYU in December of 1999, but Clark had another semester to go. Emily approached us as her parents with the idea that she wanted to move to Maryland, clear across the country, to work while Clark finished school so she could be near him. We understood her desire to be close to the man of her dreams, especially since they hadn't been able to spend much time together during their courtship. She found an apartment to share with some other young women who were also engaged to midshipmen, and she made arrangements for a job. Her father and I had a few concerns. 
We trusted our daughter and knew that she had always planned to marry in the temple, but we were a bit worried about her being in a situation where her fiancé would have his weekends free, and as a senior, he didn't have to stay on the naval yard. Out of our love and concern for Emily, we told her that we would give our blessing to her plan if she would promise us one thing, that Clark would never spend the night at her apartment, even if the others that she was living with didn't follow the same rule. Out of Emily's love and respect for our concern as her parents, her love of the Lord, and because she also understood the risks and temptations, she agreed to the promise, and so did Clark. She moved to Maryland for the semester. Emily was able to go to the Washington, D.C. temple to receive her endowments at the beginning of her move to Annapolis, and it turned out to be a wonderful blessing to her and her fiancé. She and Clark attended the D.C. temple every weekend together as they made plans for their marriage. The covenants they had both made when they received their endowments were a strength and a reminder to them of their goals and the standards they needed to keep in order to be sealed in the temple together. They kept their promise that he would never spend the night at her apartment. On June 1st, 2000, just a week and a day after Clark's graduation from the Naval Academy, they were married in the Dallas Temple, and they are now the parents of six children. Emily has since told me that us asking them to make that promise was the best thing we could have done and was a great blessing to them in their courtship. Isn't that similar to what our Heavenly Father does for us? He sees the dangers of this earthly life and understands the possible risks to our happiness and salvation much better than we do. He has an eternal perspective. He is anxious for us to be happy and knows our best chance for that is obedience to His commandments. He asks us to promise Him certain things that will help prepare us to return to Him someday. In return, even though we may not always understand the reasons, because we love and trust our Father, we are willing to do as He asks. The covenants God offers us begin when we are still children often. He understands the importance of setting us on the covenant path as soon as we are ready to understand the importance and value of keeping the commandments. When we are baptized, we enter into a covenant relationship with God. We become His covenant children, part of His covenant people. As early as age eight, we show we are willing to enter His kingdom and keep His commandments from that day forward. We learn from the Book of Mormon that we also promise to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things and in all places that ye may be in, even until death. Elder Neil A. Maxwell called it taking on the duties of discipleship, and I love it that the Lord invites us to begin even when we are children. I think it is significant that this is the only ordinance that with its associated covenant we are invited to participate in and renew every single week for the rest of our lives through the ordinance of the sacrament. Because Heavenly Father loves us, He provides for us a way to remember, to renew, to recommit to the covenants that we make at baptism weekly. It is that important. President Joseph Fielding Smith, one of our Latter-day Prophets, called sacrament meeting the most sacred, the most holy of all the meetings of the Church, because we are renewing and reaffirming the covenants we make at our baptisms. He said, We are called together once each week to partake of these emblems, witnessing that we do remember our Lord, that we are willing to take upon us His name, and that we will keep His commandments. This covenant we are called upon to renew each week and we cannot retain the Spirit of the Lord if we do not consistently comply with this commandment. End of quote. I don't know if you are like me, but sometimes I have a hard time staying focused on the sacredness and importance of this ordinance. I have been grateful for one aspect of this past year of COVID isolation. As we have participated in the ordinance of the sacrament in some unusual ways, it has reminded me not to take it for granted. I want to share another personal story which has become a sacred memory and reminder weekly of the importance of renewing our covenants through partaking the sacrament each week. Early in the morning of Mother's Day 2019, I found myself being rushed to the hospital with a splitting pain inside of my head. After tests and scans, it was determined that I was having an aneurysm in my brain. An artery in the center of my brain had a weak spot and was leaking blood. It is a potentially lethal condition. 
A neurological surgical team was assembled on that fateful Sunday, and I underwent about a four- or five-hour operation on my brain. They went into my skull, and they placed a clip on the weak spot to stop the bleeding. That was not how I had planned to spend my Mother's Day, I can tell you that. When I finally came to, I found myself in the neurological intensive care unit in the hospital. I was feeling disoriented, foggy because of the pain-killing drugs, totally out of my comfort zone, and I was just beginning to understand how close to death I had been. Because I was in an intensive care, I could only have two visitors at a time, and even though I always had a family member there with me, I felt isolated. I was told I would be in the hospital for two weeks under observation to see if I was going to have seizures and or other complications, perhaps possible brain damage. It was, needless to say, a very stressful and hard time. Then I received an unexpected gift. That first Sunday after I had arrived, I was in there at a hospital. Suddenly, an unknown couple appeared at my door and said they were hospital missionaries, and they asked if I would like to receive the sacrament. I'm sure they told me their names, but I don't remember them. What I will never forget is the great feeling of comfort and peace beyond what I can now describe to you that came over me as I was able to partake of the sacrament in that strange setting, to renew my covenants with my Heavenly Father. I understood at that moment that this was a great privilege. It felt sacred. It didn't feel mundane, but extraordinary. I felt comfort. I felt peace. I felt grateful. I felt my Heavenly Father's concern, care, and love. I felt intense gratitude for the connection I had with my Father in Heaven because of the covenants I had made with Him. I will never forget that simple but profound moment and of the love I felt for my Heavenly Father. That experience added to this past year of offering and partaking of the sacrament in more personal ways helps me remember to make more of an effort each week to see the love of our Father in that holy moment and make the partaking of the sacrament one of the most sacred parts of our week. I would also like to talk about temples and the importance of the covenants which we make in our temples, because within our temples we make the most sacred and binding covenants with our Father in Heaven. Temples are the spiritual centers of our Church and represent, again, the great love which our Father has for us. When we receive our endowment in the temple, we are taught more fully about our Father's plan for us, the role which Jesus Christ has as the Savior and Redeemer of the world. And we are asked to enter into even more sacred and higher covenants. We are asked to go to the next level of commitment and discipleship. The promises we make are more specific, more detailed, more binding. The promises from the Lord are more glorious, more splendid, and promise us the glory of eternal life. Within our temples, the Lord has provided a sacred and hallowed place where His children can be taught from on high, sanctified, and endowed with power. It was Elder Carlos E. Acey who said, I regard the ordinances of the endowment as an exchange of love between God, our Father, and us. We know that the only begotten Son, even Jesus Christ, so loved the world that He gave His own life, that as many as would believe might become the sons of God. Thus every commandment, every ordinance, every covenant, every law, every thou shalt, every thou shalt not, every teaching received from our Father in heaven and His Son, our Savior, especially those received in the house of the Lord, is an expression of divine love. End of quote. It might be easy to begin to forget the love that lies behind the thou shalts and thou shalt nots if we focus on the world around us Instead of on keeping an eternal perspective, we might begin to feel that the commandments and the standards the Lord expects us to maintain are unnecessary and unimportant restrictions to our freedom. What's the big deal with the law of chastity, the word of wisdom, and with temple marriage? It doesn't seem to be hurting all of those around us who are out there enjoying what life has to offer. I have another personal parable story to remind us of the love behind the commandments. It is about my sister-in-law, who is now on the other side of the veil. Her name was also Bonnie L. Oscarson before she married, and trust me when I say it was always confusing at family gatherings. Bonnie once told us a story about when she was a teenager growing up in St. Louis, Missouri. One of her best friends was named Grace, and she was not a member of the Church. Grace's mother had passed away when she was small, and she was being raised by her father. 
One time, while they were in high school, Bonnie and Grace were both invited to attend a party that sounded like it was going to be a little bit on the wild side. They both went to their parents to ask if they could go, and Grace was given permission. However, when Bonnie approached her parents, they must have been aware of the circumstances surrounding this party, and they told Bonnie no, she couldn't go. When Bonnie reported this to her friend Grace, Grace began to cry. Bonnie thought at first that it was that she was disappointed that she couldn't go to the party. But through her tears, Grace made this remarkably insightful comment. I wish that my father loved me enough to tell me no sometimes. She was wise beyond her years in recognizing that a kind and loving parent sets boundaries and gives guidelines to provide their child with safety, protection, and help to avoid those things which might bring harm. A loving parent takes the time to give a child instructions and tools for meeting the challenges of life. The Lord loves us enough to say no. Don't go to that wild party. Don't break the law of chastity. Don't drink or partake of certain things that will harm your mind and body. Don't look at or dwell on dark and immoral acts. Don't do it. It will mean you are not able to feel the promptings of the Spirit. It will mean that your growth will be stifled. It will set you on the wrong path that does not lead back to me and your eternal reward. God loves us all enough to say, no, don't do that. He will never force us. He will always allow us to make the choices. And he doesn't just say, no, don't do that. He also helps us know what we should be doing instead. He loves us enough to provide guidance instructions and directions. I want you to think of what comes to mind when I say that. Maybe the scriptures, living prophets, institute classes, conference talks, the Come Follow Me lessons, the temple endowment. There are hundreds of sources to teach us what we should do. He loves us so much that he invites us into a covenant relationship with him. He says to us, promise me that you will keep my commandments and that you will help build my kingdom here on earth. He asks us to commit to these endeavors at baptism and more fully in the temple ordinance as we make temple covenants as a commitment to Him. In return, He promises to throw open the doors of heaven and provide the power of godliness to us. For those of you who have not yet had the opportunity to receive your temple endowment, keep planning on it and prepare for it. For those of you who have, even though we don't have the chance to be attending the temple right now, Review and remember the covenants and instructions you received there. Live up to the promises you made there. Remember that the temple is the place where we are able to receive loving instruction from a concerned Father. We are asked to make commitments and promises of how we will live our lives, what commandments we are to keep that will offer protection and blessings, and what our focus and priorities should be if we want to gain an eternal reward and receive all that the Father hath. It means that if we are faithful to our baptismal and temple covenants, our lives will not look anything like the lives of those who aren't covenant people. We need to be different and unique. We should not look like the rest of the world. President Russell M. Nelson has been continually inviting us to let God prevail in our lives help gather Zion on both sides of the veil, and help prepare the earth for the second coming of the Savior, how different our priorities are from those of the world. We should look and act differently from the world. I want to conclude by talking about the power and strength that comes to those who keep their covenants with the Lord. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland spoke in a worldwide missionary satellite broadcast in April of 1997 about the importance of keeping covenants. He said, It is interesting to me that covenants are made personally, individually. That's how the kingdom of God is built, one person at a time, one covenant at a time, all roads in our mortal journey leading to the ultimate covenants of the Holy Temple. A bit later in the same talk, he said, That is what God does for us every time we make a covenant with Him. He endows us. We promise to do certain things depending on the ordinance, and He promises special gifts in return— Wonderful gifts, unspeakable gifts, nearly incomprehensible gifts. So I say to you, as I say to myself, if we really want to succeed in our callings, if we want to have access to every help and every advantage and every blessing from the Father, 
If we want to have the door of heaven thrown open to us that we might receive the powers of godliness, we must keep our covenants. Elder Holland mentions special, wonderful, unspeakable, incomprehensible gifts that will come to us as we keep our sacred covenants. What are those incomprehensible gifts? He mentions having access to every advantage and blessing from the Father so we can succeed in our callings in all righteous aspects of our lives. One of those gifts has to be that we qualify for heaven's help in our lives. We can ask for and receive help from our heavenly partner because we are in a partnership with him. We hear the promise every single week of one of those wonderful gifts as we listen to the sacramental prayers. We promise to keep the commandments and always remember the Savior, and we are promised that in return we will always have his Spirit to be with us. We are promised the constant companionship of the third member of the Godhead in our daily lives. That truly is an incomprehensible gift. It comforts, gives direction, confirms truth, gives warnings, enlightens our minds, brings things to our remembrance, and makes us more and better than we ever could be on our own. It is worth all of our efforts to qualify for this influence and power in our lives. Speaking of this gift, I believe that as we keep our covenants by being obedient and keeping the commandments, that we have the right to ask for gifts of the Spirit as we need them. We can ask for the gift of faith, for the gift of healing or of being healed, for the gift of tongues, for the gift of discernment. I believe that the Lord wants to bless us with every gift that will help us succeed in this life, and sometimes we need to earnestly seek those gifts according to His will. I mentioned that there is power that comes as we keep our covenants with the Lord. Let's not mistake the word power here. Sometimes in the world we think of power as being in control or dominion over others. In the context of the power of covenant-keeping, I think of it of more as an increase of our personal strength and conviction. I think of power as being the self-control to overcome weakness, to shun evil, to resist temptation. It is strength to do hard things, to serve others even when it's inconvenient or we don't feel like doing it. It is choosing to have faith when everyone around us is choosing to doubt. It is personal strength to be obedient and not worry about the fingers pointing at us from the great and spacious building. And last but certainly not least, keeping our covenants can have the effect of transforming us to become more like the Savior Jesus Christ. We learn to be more loving, kind, and aware of the needs around us. We become more pure in our thoughts and actions. We become more tuned outward and less self-absorbed. We become more noble in our pursuits and priorities. We lift and encourage those around us as we serve them. Our relationships with others will improve. We can become righteous men and women who can change the world for good. That first covenant which we made with our Heavenly Father when we were baptized and we first placed our feet on the covenant path was that we would take upon us the name of Jesus Christ, that we would always remember Him, and that we would keep His commandments. We began the process of transforming ourselves to become more like the Savior in all aspects of our lives, and we renew that commitment each week that we partake of the sacrament. As we enter the temples, we make more binding covenants with the Lord. We make specific promises which teach us how to live our lives so that we can return to live with our Heavenly Parents someday. Through priesthood power, we receive the blessing of being sealed as husbands and wives as the highest and most sacred covenant of eternal marriage. I love what President Russell M. Nelson has taught about temple covenants. He said, Ultimately, in the holy temple, we may become joint heirs to the blessings of an eternal family as once promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their posterity. Thus, celestial marriage is the covenant of exaltation. When we realize that we are children of the covenant, we know who we are and what God expects of us. His law is written in our hearts. He is our God, and we are His people. President Nelson also said, and I love this, The greatest compliment that can be earned here in this life is to be known as a covenant keeper. The rewards for a covenant keeper will be realized both here and hereafter. Scripture declares that ye should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, and if they hold out faithful to the end, 
they are received into heaven and dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness, end of quote. I add my testimony to that of President Nelson and agree with him, of course, 100%. There is no greater compliment that can be earned here in this life than to be known as a covenant keeper. Covenants are a sign of the great love and concern which our Heavenly Father has for each and every one of his children. He invites us to become partners with him in our salvation. Our covenants with him are individual, personal, and he cares deeply that we understand them and wants us to be faithful to them. In return, we can be certain he will live up to his promises to us. And those promises are so grand, so glorious, so magnificent that we cannot begin to comprehend them. He has promised us all that he hath if we are faithful. He promises to provide help and strength to live up to our end of the covenant. We are promised the continual companionship of the Holy Ghost, gifts of the Spirit, and miraculous interventions from both sides of the veil as we exercise faith in the promises. He promises covenant keepers, I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts, and mine angels round about you to bear you up. Nephi in the Book of Mormon described seeing in vision the covenant people of the Lord who scattered upon all the face of the earth, and they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. I believe we are capable of that. We can be armed with righteousness and the power of God if we are willing to be honest and faithful in keeping the promises we have made with the Lord. I testify that we have a loving Heavenly Father who knows us by name and understands us completely. I testify that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer, and that He atoned for our sins and was resurrected, so that we have hope and assurance that through faith and repentance we can return to live again with them. I pray that there is something in what has been mentioned in this message that will strengthen your resolve to be known as a covenant keeper. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Getting and Staying on the Covenant Path. We've just heard from Sister Bonnie L. Oscarson. After the break, we'll return to hear from Melissa Western with Vaulting to Greater Heights, Replacing Fear with Lasting Peace. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is getting and staying on the covenant path. Next, we'll hear from Melissa Western, associate professor in the BYU School of Accountancy at the time of this address, entitled Vaulting to Greater Heights, Replacing Fear with Lasting Peace. Good morning, friends. It is truly miraculous that I am standing here today eager to share my testimony of Jesus Christ and His amazing gospel. Only eight years ago, I was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, my life was a bit of a mess. I often felt that I was sinking. Before I understood the gospel plan, a phrase that often escaped my mouth was, I can't handle this. All I worried about was outcomes. I did not understand my purpose or the end game. Then at my lowest point, while going through a divorce, I remembered the Bible stories my mother had taught me, and in my despair, I called to Jesus. Today, seven years after being baptized, hard things still happen in my life. But thanks to Jesus, my Savior, I feel confident in my ability to keep swimming, to keep trying, no matter how rough the water gets. The gospel lens directed my gaze toward eternity and helped me to see my purpose. The way my life has transformed in just eight years feels so grand, it's almost unbelievable. And it's entirely thanks to Jesus Christ. If we are willing, He can bring about great changes in us that strengthen our faith and refine our character, placing us on the path that leads to eternal life, the eternal win. I'm not claiming that I know or understand all things, but I know that my Heavenly Father loves me and sees the end from the beginning, so I trust Him to guide my steps, and this brings me peace. Fellow faculty, students, and all those who are listening, 
Understanding and working to achieve your eternal purpose, the eternal win, leads to peace in all circumstances, a powerful peace that displaces fear. To help you understand how how I know this is true, I need to tell you more about my starting point. These are pictures from a long time ago of my wonderful family of origin. I admire each one of them. Although they do not share my testimony of the restored gospel, my siblings, mother, and some of my extended family do share a love for the Savior. My grandparents were Okies, a derogatory term used to describe poverty-stricken people from Oklahoma who moved west after the Great Depression in search of a better life. It was a term of disdain pinned on poor farm workers. Despite this history, my grandmother says she's proud to be an Okie. She's proud of where she is from. I'm also proud of my roots, and I'm proud of my grandparents. They helped me develop grit. My grandparents' starting point was one of meager economic means and limited social status. Yet only two generations later, I'm a confident woman with a PhD who has the ear of hundreds of students every year and even more today. My sister is a talented nurse who administers programs across the Western United States. She's a devoted wife and mother who has raised two outstanding children. My brother is a battalion chief for the Fresno Fire Department. He is committed to his two daughters who are full of light, his beautiful wife, and his community. How can this be? How can our family go from Okies to community elevators in such a short time? How can poverty be eradicated from a family in two generations? There are two principles that helped us. In my family, we learned to work hard and be accountable. Let's first consider hard work. In our family, hard work was not only valued, but enjoyed. Every Saturday, I was required to perform manual labor with a good attitude for hours. I learned to love the benefits of hard work, which prepared me to love progression, an integral part of the gospel plan. Elder Christofferson teaches that work builds and refines character, creates beauty, and is the instrument of our service to one another and to God. A consecrated life is filled with work. Difficult circumstances need not stop us from progressing. With a vision for a better future and a willingness to work hard despite overwhelming odds, we can change the course of our life and help others in our family and communities to do the same. The second principle my family instilled in me is accountability. My grandmother, Betty, did not see her life as the arbitrary outcome of unfair circumstances. She believed it was her responsibility to do what she could to build the life she hoped to live. Her choices reflected this belief. To be clear, there is no principle that promises all our hard work and good choices will lead to the short-term outcomes we want. That is not the nature of our mortal probation. Rather, accountability is understanding that our actions change the distribution of possible short-term outcomes and that they can guarantee the long-term outcome. My family's love of hard work and their commitment to accountability prepared me to progress. For example, without hard work and accountability, I never could have earned a PhD while being a mom. And I certainly never could have become an NCAA Division I National Pole Vault Champion. Now to the women's pole vault. Junior Fresno State athlete Melissa Price was the class of the field. Here she attempts 13 feet, 10 inches, a new collegiate record. Easily soaring over. Melissa Price, congratulations. You're the first woman ever to win the indoor NCAA women's pole vault. And you've made big time history tonight. What are your thoughts on that? It's very exciting. It's a goal I set um, a couple years ago, and it's great to finally be here and to actually be able to win. You know, as I look at you, you're only 5'2", I'm 6'6", six, six, and, and you see a lot of vaulters that are big. What's your advantage? How do you make up for your not being so tall? <laughs> well, you have to work on other things that I can work on, like my speed and um, strength, agility, flexibility. As you can see, I was already living some gospel principles and being blessed as a result. However, hard work and accountability alone were not sufficient to bring peace when trouble and heartbreak arrived. When the outcomes I desired and worked hard to achieve did not occur, anguish and fear would creep in, robbing me of peace. My mother raised us with traditional Christian values. 
I grew up believing in God and Jesus, and I loved the moments when I felt the Spirit. But for several reasons, religion did not resonate with me as, as a young adult. I decided that I was going to be a good person, the best that I could be, without any formal worship of God. I stopped reading the scriptures and praying regularly. Thus began my ten years of spiritual decline. During those ten years, I chose a challenging marital situation. We were both good individuals. We were not a good team. We were married for nine years and had two wonderful children before the marriage ended. Divorce is brutal. It's heartbreaking for the entire family. It was the first time I felt I had failed at something that really mattered. I was so disappointed in myself and frustrated with the bad outcome. I cried every day when I woke up and every night when I went to bed. I experienced a very public panic attack. The divorce had real and lasting consequences, especially for my children, Elijah and Catherine, and my heart broke for them. As I've already told you, it was during this sorrowful time that I remembered the stories my mother had taught me, stories about Jesus and his love, and I called upon him for help, and soon I began to feel the comfort I needed. That reformative year allowed me to become intimately associated with our Savior Jesus because he carried me through it. To heal after the divorce, I did what I knew. I prayed and I read my Bible, activities I had not done in more than 10 years. I went to counseling. I tried to forgive and extend grace to others. After a few years, I had made good progress in developing my faith, but I sensed there was more. James is my favorite book in the Bible. It begins with this promise. If we lack wisdom and ask God, then it shall be given to us. You can imagine my excitement when just a year later, I learned that Joseph Smith also loved the book of James and its words also inspired him. But that discovery was still a ways off at this point. For a long time, I read James daily, all five books. Those chapters taught me what pure religion is and how to recognize wisdom from above. My faith grew, but I felt there was more. After I had been divorced for about two years, I prayed differently one evening. I prayed for a family that would be a light to the world. I prayed for a marriage centered on Jesus Christ. I prayed that we as a family would truly live a Christ-consumed life. I prayed for sanctification through the family unit. What was different about this prayer was not the things for which I prayed. I prayed for those things often. The difference in this prayer was that I expressed my complete willingness to walk whatever path was required of me. I told Heavenly Father that if He showed me the path, I would pre-commit to taking it. I was prepared to make a covenant. After I said these words, I was immediately filled with fear. What if it was hard? What if I had to give up something or change my life? What if people made fun of me? I pondered these consequences and then considered what my life was like with only partial light and said to Heavenly Father, I will do what is required. Show me the path. Immediately, I felt the heavens open and I experienced personal revelation in a completely new way. I received strong confirmation that additional light would come and that I would get married that year which seemed remarkable because I had not been on one date since the divorce. (laughs) I suspect that Heavenly Father answered my prayer with the promise of additional light because I had been so humbled by my recent trials. Metaphorically speaking, I was waving my white flag, ready to yield my life to His will. The scriptures teach us that if we are humble, the Lord will lead us by the hand and answer our prayers. Right away, I started looking for the additional light, and I started dating. By mid-year, when the promises had not yet arrived, I began wondering how they would be fulfilled, and when time was running out. Then I met Mark. The first time I met Mark, I said, I'm not sure what you believe, but I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm never going to compromise. I said this on most of my first dates, and the response was usually awkward or even negative. Yet, I continued to declare my love for the Savior because I'd already pre-committed to follow Him. 
Being a follower of Jesus Christ was a primary part of my identity, and it's the first characteristic I wanted to share. Mark's response was different than those I typically received. He smiled and calmly said that he also loved the Savior. His humble yet confident response intrigued me. Our first official date lasted 18 hours, and I knew he was the answer to my prayer. (laughs) But I could not reconcile the fact that he was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I was not. This was not how I expected the prayer to be answered. Over the first few months of dating, I often wanted to discuss our religious differences, and Mark wisely said, we will, but not yet. He allowed me time to get to know him and see his character before discussing our different beliefs. I watched him carefully, observing his strong faith, his kindness, his work ethic, his commitment to doing good, and the power of his prayers. After a few months, Mark invited me to watch General Conference with him. I said that I would, that I could not break the promise I had made to Heavenly Father. I was intrigued by the fruits I had seen in Mark and others, and I was willing to consider the Church as the possible source of His goodness, but if I did not feel God in it, I could not pretend otherwise, no matter how much I liked Mark. I knew how to recognize my Father's voice, and I would only go where He directed. On that Sunday morning, when I heard President Monson speak, I knew that his words were true, and this surprised me. Who was this man whose words penetrated my soul? That night, we began reading the Book of Mormon together with two rules. First, prior to reading, we prayed for the Spirit to accompany us. Second, we committed to openly discuss all questions, but without contention. We wanted God's Spirit to teach, so we tried to create a space where he could comfortably reside. The conversion process was not linear for me. I was so eager and excited to learn, but when I had significant questions or when I heard criticism levying against the restored gospel, I felt intense fear. Still, I pressed on, and little by little, as we read and I prayed, I began to feel peace. I met with the missionaries, and they taught me things that I felt I had known before but had forgotten. I asked clarifying questions. I asked tough questions. As I studied with a teachable heart and a willingness to do the work God required of me, my questions were answered. One day the evidence was overwhelming. I knew I was on the verge of something amazing. I knew my Heavenly Father was showing me the path, the path I had already pre-committed to follow. When I was baptized on January 25, 2014, promising to take upon myself the name of Jesus Christ, I was filled with power. The clarity and energy that came from my covenants astonished me. I could see the path clearly for the first time, and I was energized to take it. I could discern the next step and understand more fully what my family needed. I had access to heaven, and this power filled my heart with love. Elder Christofferson teaches that the source of such power is God, Our access to that power is through our covenants with Him. I can testify that these words are true. There is power in covenants. Mark and I were married two months later, and we were sealed in the Salt Lake City Temple about a year after that. If God had called me to remain single and raise my children in the gospel without help from a husband, I know He would have provided me with the necessary power and faith, and I would have walked that path too. Yet I'm so grateful for my marriage because it helps me to become more Christ-like. I need help learning to live the gospel, and it's been fun to learn with Mark. When things get hard, and they always do, we remind each other to look up. That is what we all need, a friend to point our gaze toward eternity. Today I've shared part of my story, not because it's particularly interesting, but because some of the challenges I faced are common to mortality, and many of you can relate. Through these experiences and through prayer, scripture study, and the Spirit, I have learned of my purpose on earth, which is your purpose as well. The purpose of this life is to choose to become Christ-like, to move our character closer to His. 
At the end of the Book of Mormon, Moroni pleads with us to be filled with the love of Christ so that we can become the children of God, so that when Jesus shall appear, we shall be like him, purified even as he is pure. This process of becoming Christ-like cannot happen in an instant. This miraculous work of transformation takes time and practice. There are some lessons we can only learn through experience. Our dear prophet, President Nelson, just reminded us in April that the gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to keep changing, growing, and becoming more pure. It is a gospel of hope, of healing, and of progress. So it's not a problem if you're not yet thoroughly Christ-like. The problem only comes when you stop trying. The experiences that refine us and move our character closer to the Savior's are unique to each of us. But there are a few common components of Christ-like change that are within our control. First, to become Christ-like, we must desire to have the Spirit of God in our hearts and be willing to act as directed by the Spirit. Our Heavenly Father respects our agency. If we want Him on our team, we need to humbly request His Spirit with a heart ready to act when He provides direction. As we look at the Savior's life, we see this principle in His example. The book of Matthew tells how Jesus fell on His face praying, Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Brothers and sisters, we must be willing to do the hard work we are called to do. I only received direction from heaven after I was willing, and I mean truly willing, to do whatever was required to have the Spirit of God reside in my heart. Second, we must practice living gospel principles, including hard work and accountability, two principles that I have discussed, and many others like forgiveness, repentance, and the ability to receive personal revelation. I often hear people complain about certain gospel principles and commandments as if they are without purpose and merely a spiteful way to ruin our fun. In a 2015 General Conference address, Elder Pino said that, Our Heavenly Father first taught Adam and Eve the plan of redemption, and then He gave them the commandments. Because understanding the plan of salvation helps us to see the purpose, the why of the commandments. The commandments keep us on track for the eternal win. I have a strong testimony that the commandments are gifts from a loving Father who knows the many roads that lead to destruction. If you have a hard time keeping the commandments, pray to know of God's love for you as an individual and to understand His character. When you understand these two things, your view of the commandments will change, and so will your desire to keep them. I see the commandments like a big hug from our Heavenly Parents. That is, the commandments feel like love to me. Third, we need access to godly power to see our grand potential and to fully engage in the great work of becoming divine, becoming Christ-like. Mortality is designed to include disappointment and heartache, what God calls learning opportunities. To navigate these challenges successfully, we need access to power greater than our own, and that access comes through covenants. Elder Gong lovingly reminded us in April that sacred ordinances offer covenant belonging and the power of godliness to sanctify inner intent and outward action. Covenants direct our gaze toward eternity and help us to see the reformative purpose of mortal experience. As I use my covenants to access the power of God, I can discern the right path, and I feel empowered to walk it. If I'm on the path directed by my Father in heaven, I know where it leads, a Christ-like and eternal life. How do you feel right now? How have you felt this week, this month? This year. I suspect that some of you lack peace. Your minds are filled with anxiety and fear. You want to be righteous and choose wisely, but you're unsure how to do so. I have been there and have emerged on the other side with a joy filled faith, which is why I can say with confidence you can have peace. 
even if the love of your life no longer loves you. You can have peace, even if you diligently study and sacrifice and still do not earn the grade you need to get into the program you desire. Even if you feel unseen, undervalued, and misunderstood. Even if you get divorced, or you become sick, or you are worried about the well-being of somebody you love, you can have peace. If you understand the purpose of this life and rely on the Savior Jesus Christ to help you achieve the eternal win, you can confidently move forward with guidance from heaven, having joy and peace in all circumstances, even when your mortal experiences are far from what you had hoped. I know that my Heavenly Father loves me and each of you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bridge the gap between our shortfalls and the perfection He requires. Through my covenants, I am endowed with power that helps me get up, repent, and optimistically face the future each time I fall short. Remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of repentance, a gospel of change. As I remember my purpose and focus on the path that leads to the great outcome of eternal life, fear dissipates. No short-term setback can keep me from the eternal win, which only requires that I keep exercising faith in Jesus Christ, keep trying and keep repenting. I can do that, and so can you. I love the Book of Mormon because it testifies that God loves all people. I admire Joseph Smith. His mortal probation was hard, and Heavenly Father required the ultimate sacrifice from him. Joseph knew which direction to face. He placed his faith in eternity rather than mortality. I hope I can do that. I hope you can, too. I love President Nelson. His words are true and filled with light and love. I know, because I have learned to receive personal revelation by the power of the Holy Spirit. President Nelson knows the way, and I am following his counsel. I know that the family unit is meant to be eternal, and that the term family is broad and encompassing. I love my husband, Mark, and my children, Catherine and Elijah. They are three of the best people I know, truly outstanding human beings. I also love Sammy, my children's half-brother, and their stepmom, Sarah, and their dad, Michael. I love our family. I hope they know that I believe in Jesus Christ and His gospel. My greatest desire is that they will do all that is necessary to know and love the Savior. I have the same desire for the entire human family, that we all know and love the Savior, Jesus Christ. My friends, we will make mistakes. But through those experiences and the gift of repentance, we can learn and become something divine. I pray that we keep our gaze elevated so that we can see our trials through the lens of their purpose, so that we can become more Christ-like and gain the eternal win. As we do so, our hearts will be filled with peace rather than fear. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Getting and Staying on the Covenant Path with thoughts from Sister Bonnie L. Oscarson and Melissa Western. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.